Welcome to the Huda Thugged podcast with Zeb. This is the episode about Zoroastrianism, as promised, episode 23. Before I get into things, I'd like to make a shout out to my high school teacher, Mr. Hoover. He held a class titled Comparative Religions in my Podunk High School of Dover Area School District. His class sparked something in me, a curiosity in how other cultures see reality. And so this is this will not be the only episode I make on religion, far from it. That being said, this is not preaching dogma either. I don't care what you believe in spiritually, only that you are having a good day. I am simply going to go over what others believe for educational purposes. The only reason anyone really should be offended by my comparative religion episode is if I state an inaccuracy, in which case I generally welcome anyone to point out what I got wrong, with a source, of course. You can do this by leaving a voice message for me. There should be a link in every description to leave a voice message. Now, for the actual topic, Zoroastrianism. It started around 1500 BCE, that's before the Common Era, and is still practiced today. The ancient Greeks called it Zoroastrianism, so modern-day Westerners tend to call it that too. But the people who actually practice the religion call it Mazdayazna. And from 600 BCE to 900 CE, Zoroastrianism was the chief religion in Iran. Their priests were called Magi. That's M-A-G-I. This is where the word magic actually comes from. Um, thought to have magical powers due to their impressive understanding of astronomy, not astrology, astronomy. Magi, like most priests in most religions, were typically respected in their communities. For all your Christians out there, all those Christians, those three wise men who visited the baby Jesus bringing their gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they were magi. They were, they were the, basically the, the equivalent of priests in Zoroastrianism. So, back in 651 CE, the Muslims invaded Iran and slowly turned it into a caliphate. This is what slowly ran most Zoroastrians out of Iran. A large number of these Zoroastrians fled to India and started a community known as the Parsi. Parsi is what Indian people actually call the region of Persia, so that's why they're known as Parsi. The Parsis are the largest group of Zoroastrians today. They were a big part uh, in Indian gaining their independence from Great Britain. Now, there are about 200,000 Zoroastrians in the world today, and they are scattered about in India, Iran, Canada, the UK, and the US, and various other places. One of the most famous Zoroastrians of modern time was Freddie Mercury. He was the lead singer from one of the greatest rock bands of all time, Queen. His family came from India's Parsi community uh, when they immigrated to the UK. It is also important to note that Zoroastrians Astrianism is not a congressional religion. They don't gather in churches, mosques, or temples. For the vast majority of their rituals and prayer, Zoroastrians uh, do all that in their own homes. So that's a big, big difference there. The exception being the seven days a year where they gather in, at fire temples. So seven days a year, they actually do congregate. So there, that's a very brief historical and geopolitical background of the faith. But what is the actual religion? It all started with this one man named Zoroaster. Once again, this is what the ancient Greeks called him, but to his followers, he is known as Zarathustra. So a few things that lead to history being lost or lack of technology, or a few things that lead to history being lost, you know, forgotten in time. It's lack of technology, 
you know, writing technology, recording technology, wars in a vast amount of time. Our story has all three. So documentation of Zoroaster's life is hard to come by. Writing things back in 1500 BCE was much harder to do. And Iran has been home to a lot of wars in the past 3,500 years. Historians believe that Zoroaster lived somewhere between 1700 and 1000 BCE, not really sure where in there. He was a priest of the Zoro, pre-Zoroastrian religion. That religion is so old, we don't even know what it was called by anyone. Zoroaster became fed up with this society he was living in, and his fellow priests seemed to be worried about sacrifices and seemingly pointless rituals, while the common people lived in fear of relentless marauders and uh, raiders. Quotes from Zoroaster, uh, doing good to others is not a duty, it is a joy, for it increases your own health and happiness. With an open, and here's another one, with an open mind, seek and listen to all the highest ideals. Consider the most enlightened thoughts, then choose your path, person by person, each for oneself. Another one, one good, one good deed is worth a thousand prayers. Zoroaster went down to the river one day, and he went to get some water and was struck by a vision of Ahura Mazda. This being of pure light and good revealed to Zoroaster how the universe worked and that Ahura Mazda was the one true God. Ahura Mazda actually translates to wise Lord. This one true God is uncreated and therefore eternal. Ahura Mazda is all about order, love, wisdom, and created all good things in the universe. Ahura Mazda has six holy immortals that help him. They are known as the Amesha Spentaz. Uh, they can be compared to angels. The polar opposite of Ahura Mazda is Angra Manu, which is translated as the destructive spirit. He can be compared to Satan, I guess. Angramanu is responsible for all negative or evil things in the world. Angramanu has evil spirits that do his or her, her bidding, and they are known as devas. Now, where Ahura Mazda is light, Angramanu is darkness. Where Ahura Mazda is creation and love, Angramanu is de destructive decay and disdain. Ahura Mazda is the truth, Angramanu the lie. Zoroastrianism is one of the first religions known for this dualistic view of reality. The story goes that before Earth, before the Sun, before the universe, and before time itself existed, Ahura Mazda and Angramanu existed themselves, but they were separate by an separated, sorry, by an endless black void. Each did not interact with one another and kept to their own realms of light and dark. At one point, Ahura Mazda created the physical world, universe, and called it Getig. So that's he created the physical world. Angramanu and his devas invaded the physical universe and corrupted it by acidifying the oceans, introducing the concept of murder by being the first to commit it, polluting fire with smoke and decimating the flora and fauna of the land. But this dark period is in the past. We all now, you and I, we all live, this is how Zoroastrian thinks, remember? We all now exist in a time called the... Huh, going to butcher this one, Gumejin, or it's called the mixture. Both good and evil exist in our reality. But we all play a part in this dualistic struggle between good and evil. Zoroastrians believe Ahura Mazda created this physical universe to lure evil Angramanu into it so he could be defeated. But Ahura Mazda needs our help. Slowly, uh, we as humans can defeat Angramanu with our good thoughts, good words, and good deeds. Next, Let's tackle one of the biggest questions that all religions try to answer. What happens when we die? So Zoroastrianisms, they believe 
in an afterlife. They believe that when we die, our souls go to the Bridge of Judgment. Pretty cool name, Bridge of Judgment. Above the bridge lies heaven, and below the bridge lies hell. While on the bridge, the deeds we did in life are weighed on a scale. If the scale reads a person's life as mostly full of good deeds, they ascend to heaven, or the abode of song, as it's called. What a beautiful beautiful way to name heaven, the abode of song. If they are found to have lived in a life with mostly bad deeds, they descend to Duzak, or Long age, it's it's the long age of misery, darkness, bad food, and the crying of woe. Sounds terrible. Little side note, that part about bad food just goes to show you that food has and always will be such an important part of life. Today we want good food. 3,500 years ago, we wanted good food. There is also a purgatory type place where if a person is neither good nor evil, they just exist in like a floaty stew. So we're Astrian's, Astrian's afterlife was revolutionary. Paradise was and is attainable, not by your status in society, but by how one chooses to live their life. Zoroastrians believe death only exists because Angramanu made it so. They see death and dead bodies as a pollution. So when someone dies, they are careful not to associate the body with any of the sacred elements, water, fire, earth, and etc. So once a magi has performed a ceremony to separate the person's soul from the body, the corpse bearers take the body to a large stone tower on top of a barren hill. It's pretty ominous. Check it out. These towers are known as the Towers of Silence. Like I said, Google it. They look wicked. There, the body is placed on a stone slab away from all those sacred elements of fire and earth and water, so vultures then can feast on the body and the sun can bleach the bones into dust. Since plants, animals, and people are considered creations of Hura Mazda and therefore good, choosing to feed one body to the vultures is one last good deed for the person to commit before crossing the bridge of judgment into the afterlife. Today, most Zoroastrians use electric cremation, special stone burial plots, or even solar rays, magnified solar rays, to disintegrate the body. The Towers of Silence were outlawed in Iran in the 1930s, and the Parsis over in India have a hard time using the Towers of Silence because bird populations have been decimated due to over or human overpopulation. So, then there's the Frashokerti. It means the renewal. Okay, Frasho Kerti, it refers to the end times or the apocalypse or uh, uh, what's that? Uh, what's that Thor movie? Thor Ragnarok. It's another verse. Apocalypse, basically. Ahura Mazda and Angramanu are going to keep battling it out for thousands and thousands of years, probably long after you and I are gone. And this is until Ahura Mazda finally defeats the evil Angramanu and purges the earth of all evil. And he's going to do it in a fiery blaze of glory. It will all start with a savior known as Saushant. Now, the Saushant will be born of a virgin mother. He'll lead the people against the forces of evil and bring about the end times. The earth will be swallowed in molten lava and fire. The people who were good and performed mostly good deeds will pass right through the molten river of lava while the evil people will be burned by it and purified so they may enter the abode of song eventually. The gates of Duzak, that's that hell we were talking about over, those gates will open and all the souls of the dam will be released from their misery and be redeemed. So in the end, everyone's good. After being defeated by Ahura Mazda, 
with help from humanity's good thoughts, words, and deeds, Angra Manu and his evil devas will be cast back to their infant darkness, while Ahura Mazda, his six holy immortal Ameshaspentas, and all things good, including humanity, will go back to their former perfect good self in their infinite realm of light. Now that's epic. Zoroastrians try to follow the Asha. If you try to translate Asha, you'll find it means truth, wisdom, justice, goodness, order, progress, and perfection. All of those at the same time. Uh, it is the righteous path that Zoroastrians try to follow to be closer to Ahura Mazda. It is the path they follow to be good. To help humanity follow this path and be good, Ahura Mazda gave people Vohumana, which is, it means good mind. And it's one of those Asha Spentas, those holy immortals that um, support Ahura Mazda I talked about earlier. Vohumana refers to humanity's ability to judge something from right and wrong. It's your, basically your conscience. Vohumana, or good mind, also refers to free will. This is humanity's ability to choose. Free will and the concept of choice is very important to Zoroastrians because their choices in life not only determine their afterlife, but also the fate of the universe in the battle between light and darkness. Now, most of you have probably never heard of Zoroastrianism, but if you have, you may have heard that they worship or worshipped fire in large temples. However, this isn't really true. Saying Zoroastrianism um, worships fire is like saying Hindus worship cows or that Jewish people think pigs are evil, or that Catholics worship wine and crackers. If an outsider observed any such religious practice, you know, the Hindus being res Hindu people respecting the cow as a sacred symbol of life, Jewish people refusing to eat pork because they believe it is an unclean animal, Catholics gathering for mass to consume wine and wafers because they represent Christ's body, Christ sacrificing his blood and body. All those observations, those outsiders would make uh, all those assumptions, just as outsiders make assumptions about Zoroastrians and their practice of performing rituals near fire. So fire is the symbol of Ahura Mazda, and it is seen as pure and represents truth. Zoroastrian and fire temples are where magi, or Zoroastrian equivalent of priests, perform all rituals in front of a fire so they can better feel the presence of their one true God. They don't worship it. It like represents them. That's like saying Christians worship the cross. We don't really worship it, but it represents what they worship, you know? One of the oldest scriptures in the world today is the Avesta. It is the holy book of Zoroastrians. It is free online for all to read. And don't worry, it has been translated from Avestan, the 3,500-year-old language uh, that Zoroaster spoke. And the Avestas... The Avesta are six, 17 hymns that Zoroaster wrote, and they are called Gathas. Remember, at the beginning of the podcast, when I listed a few things that cause information to be lost to history, and that one of them was war? Well, the Zoroastrians had been around for about 3,500 years now, and they've seen their fair share of war. They, uh, The guy we all call Alexander the Great is actually referred to as Alexander the Accursed to them. Alexander conquered the... Uh, conquered the Achaemenid Empire in 334 BCE when he burned the royal palace at Persepolis and its library along with it. Inside was thought to be the complete Avesta, written in gold on 12,000 goat skins. So they lost some of that to history. Then in 633 CE, the Arab invasion of Iran kicked off, which led to more scriptures being burnt. The 11th century, the Turks invaded, and in the 13th century, the Mongols invaded too. Both did, you guessed it, they burned some history with them, and more of the Avestas in their wake. Now, 
you may have noticed a lot of parallels between Zoroastrianism and the three Abrahamic religions of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Here are some examples. There's one true God, Savior born of a virgin will bring about the end times, dualistic understanding that there's good and evil and they fight each other. One's afterlife destination is either paradise or eternal suffering based on one's deed in, in life. There's angels and demons, the purification of the world and the apocalypse where the good will live in eternal paradise. Now, that is because Zoroastrian great, greatly influenced Judaism long ago. When Zoroastrian when, when the Zoroastrian Cyrus the Great, the founder of the Achaemenid Empire, freed the Israeli people from Babylon in 538 BCE, he created the reputation that Zoroastrian rulers have had ever since, that they're very religiously tolerant. But he also made a lasting impression on the Israelites. Now, Cyprus is written as a messiah in the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is also the first book that writes about Yahweh, that single God creation, just like Ahura Mazda. While Zoroastrianism only has roughly 200,000 followers now, all of those parallel concepts that I that the one true God, the dualistic good and evil, all of that, they all came from Zoroastrianism first and influenced the billions of people who follow the Abraham Abrahamic religions today. That is the legacy of Zoroastrianism. Now, in the beginning of this episode, I spoke about the spoke about the high school teacher, Mr. Hoover, and the elective course he started, Comparative Religions. On the first day of this class, Mr. Hoover explained how he was only teaching objective truths about religion and only what others believed, not what anyone else should believe, like I also explained. But he also said that why he felt it is important for people to take the time to understand other people's faiths or ways they see or the way they see reality, I think it's important to understand other religions because for most of my childhood, it was kept from me that other religions even existed. Not that my parents hid them from me, but because my small rural community growing up never brought up other perspectives on different faiths. From a historian's perspective, I think it is important to understand there are thousands of different religions that humanity has practiced. Understanding as many as we can gives us greater insight into how humanity as a whole has evolved over time. It is fascinating. From a humanitarian perspective, it makes even more sense to learn about other religions. When people don't understand something, they fear it. When they fear it, they hate it. And when they hate it, they cause violence against it. So why not do what we can to understand our fellow man, to better understand that group of people living on the other side of the world, or maybe even across town? If we understand them, I mean truly understand them, there is much less chance of hating or wanting to hurt them. Now, Mr. Hoover gave a similar explanation as this. But he also ended his reasoning for starting for starting the class with, and I thought it'd be really fun to learn all this stuff with you guys. And I agree with him. It's so much fun to learn about different religions. It's like one of my most favorite things to learn about. So I truly look forward to delving into more religions, uh, some, pra some practice today and some long ago. Thanks to the YouTube channel Cogito as the main source for this episode. I also love that channel name as it references Descartes, Rene Descartes' Cogito Ergo Sum. And as always, thank you to my listeners. Appreciate you listening to episode 23. I can't wait to keep doing this episode, this podcast, and I hope you keep listening. Tune in next time.